Welcome to Strictly Jojo, a podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. My name is Courtney. And Kono Karuda! This is episode 97, and we're discussing the parts of Jojo we'll never see. As always, there will be spoilers for anything that's happened in the Jojo anime. We finally arrived at a discussion episode for Strictly Jojo. It has been a while since we've last done one, and I think we've got a really exciting one for today. Yeah, I think this actually stemmed from... A question we had during our Strictly Q&A, which is a segment that's available for our Patreon members. Um, there was one question in particular that related to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. And I think we both agree that we would love to explore this as an actual topic on Strictly JoJo. Yeah, the question came from the Gene Queens. And they asked a couple of different things. But essentially, they asked us what side stories in jojo we wished we could see more of or learn more about because you have um you have the rohan spinoff the spoke rohan kishibe and then on the manga end of things you have the josuke and whole horse uh collab crossover whatever it is um that's in the works so i think that this sparked really good discussion um, around like what else would we love to see a Rocky adapt in some way, shape, or form? Because there are a lot of crazy things that happen in the Joestar lineage that we never get to see. Things that happen behind the scenes during a part or in between parts because there's time skips that happen part to part. So we're going to kind of deep dive into all the things that we wish we were privy to, all the things that we wish we could see, all the really interesting moments um, for the Joe stars that, I don't know, we we can theorize all we want, but I think at most it'll be headcanon unless Iraqi actually does adapt some of these things. And the way we kind of framed it is if like Iraqi were to create something around some of these uh, missing pieces of the story, Imagine like if they would be a one shot or an OVA or a spinoff like the book Rohan Kishibe, what story would we want to see? Like what what piece of the puzzle do we want to see play out? So um, I kind of put my list together in chronological order um, tied to like a particular part. I don't know how you approached it. I think I did too. Um, but starting with part two. I guess in between part one and two. Um, And then, yeah, some from three, four, and five as well. So basically nothing from one and six, although I'm sure there are questions and stories that aren't explored in those parts um, that are also good food for thought. Well, if it's in between parts, we'll say it falls technically for the part prior. So if it's in between parts one and two, We'll say it's technically part of part one, or you can just like a slot it in where you no, feel No, I would it. say mine is more part of part two, although it takes place between part one and two. Okay, that's fair. Actually, looking at my first one, it's, it's kind of the same situation. So, okay, we don't have anything specific to part one. So starting with part two, what is the story that you would want to see told by Iraqi? So I'm curious if you had this on your list because of the way that you framed this in-between period between part (laughs) one and two. I put how Speedwagon became an oil baron and founder of the Speedwagon Foundation. Ooh, 
Is that not what you had? No, that's okay. not what I had at all. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if this is really anything exciting that could be followed. And I have an excerpt from the wiki article, I think, about Robert E.O. Speedwagon that kind of summarizes what we saw in part two. Um, saying that in the years following the death of Jonathan Joestar, Speedwagon had traveled to America where he discovered oil and formed the powerful Speedwagon Foundation. It is also during this time that he became an uncle figure to Joseph Joestar. Um, but yeah, I think I'm more particularly interested in how he struck oil. Because thinking about uh, Speedwagon's personality, especially in part two, it's kind of like anything he watches gives him a heart attack. And so, like, imagine <laughs> imagine the scene of him, I don't know, like, walking through a desert, and then he comes upon whatever area and just happens to strike oil and seeing that kind of gush from the ground. Like, I'm sure he would have gone into an immediate cardiac, cardiac arrest. <laughs> Either that or, like, what he does subsequent to that, like, creating the Speedwagon Foundation, but then also using that foundation kind of secretly to stop the Pillarman and like then to mm-hmm. later on be involved with Stan users. Like how the hell did he convince a bunch of like scientists and stuff that this shit was real and that they needed to spend all of their resources trying to prevent these things and helping the Joe star family. Yeah. Cause officially Again, according to the JoJo Wiki, the foundation dedicates itself to medical research and environmental conservation. But I think, yeah, clandestinely, it's trying to prevent and avert any world threats that could pose a danger to society or to humanity. So kind of seeing maybe like the puzzle pieces that led to him using the foundation to discover the threat of the Pillarmen. Because I think yeah, part two just lightly touches upon these things. And like I said, maybe it's not as exciting as we think because it's kind of like the the logistics of putting all of this together rather than any serious action. Because I think that's more reserved for the stuff that Joseph goes through in part two. But again, it's, it's kind of like, um, I can't think of like a Marvel movie or TV show that's comparable but one that kind of sets the foundation for the mcu i that's kind of what i want to see here um but even outside of that also getting to see how speedwagon helped raise joseph too i think that also plays a big part in this uh really quick before we jump to that i one other thing i think would be cool to see i not even see just i imagine the speedwagon foundation has like a specific team dedicated to tracking cars in space to make sure he never comes back into orbit oh, right, and thaws yeah. <laughs> so yeah i imagine that but i also have on my list watching edina and speedwagon try to raise joseph yeah i think it would be so interesting because I imagine it is not easy to raise a young Joseph Joestar. I mean, mm-hmm. he's he's his own person. And I guess um, parallel to that or kind of going hand in hand with that, one other thing I wanted to see is what happened to Lisa Lisa after she got revenge for her husband's murder and then had to leave Joseph, Joseph as a baby so that, you know, he wouldn't get hurt. He wouldn't get t- caught up in, you know, her being hunted down or whatever. 
what happened then, right? Like, because she becomes this Hamon master, this mentor. She has the fucking island air... Air suplena. Yeah. And, like, is this big name within the Hamon world. How did she get to that point? Like, I want to see her try to reestablish herself, but then also feel really sad because she can't see her son anymore. She can't see Edina. She can't see Speedwagon. And she's alone. Her husband... George Joestar the second, right? I think yes, um, yes. is gone. Like that's got to be such a gripping tale. I would love to see that. But then hand in hand with that is watching Edina and Speedwagon try to raise Joseph because one of the few flashbacks that we get is uh, Joseph crashing the airplane when he and Speedwagon get hijacked. Yeah, I think that's the only real instance we see of Joseph's childhood. Um, and, and that's one... I wouldn't say flaw, but like one wish I had with part two because it's not as fleshed out as other parts of the series is that we don't get to see a lot of the foundation of what makes Joseph Joestar from Speedwagon to Erina to Lisa Lisa, which I know that was a more of an important plot point towards the end of part two. Um, But even just getting a few episodes maybe towards that part where it could flesh out her story a bit more. Yeah, and we all know that Joseph, he very much cares for his friends and family, and anyone who dares threaten Speedwagon or Edina, he he goes berserk, right? Like, I want to see how he got to that point. What is his relationship like with Edina? Um, because we don't see them interact that much except for the moments in the beginning of part two. And I would love to see... Like him being a moody, edgy teenager, but then when push comes to shove, he is there for Edina and Speedwagon. So I'm reading here that there's a novel called Jorge Joestar, or maybe it's George Joestar, but it's spelled J-O-R-G-E, and it has a non-canonical take on what happened to Lisa Lisa from childhood to I think when she has uh Jonathan uh, not when she has Joseph. Interesting. Okay. Well, who the fuck made that? <laughs> um, it says here that it was a, a novel written and illustrated by Otaro Maijo. Um this was released as part of a special JoJo 25th anniversary project in 2012. Oh, man, I kind of wish it was canonical. Canonical is always better because we know we have a Rocky's blessing. Well, he, he drew the cover. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, I have, again, I have no idea if it's it's canon or if it's it was just like a, a thing written for this anniversary. Do you have any others that would take place between parts one and two? Um, I think in line with like what happened with Lisa Lisa, getting more of her backstory, understanding who... George Joestar the second was Joseph's father. The only fucking non-Hamon yeah. user. <laughs> the only Jojo between parts one and six who was pretty much glossed over. Yeah. Because Araki had made the jump from the 1890s in part one to the 1930s in part two. Uh, again, we know a little bit about George the second, George Jr. Because he was a World War One pilot for the British Air Force um, I don't think he was properly trained in Hamon, and we see he gets 
killed by his commanding officer who turned out to be a vampire, which I don't know how that didn't raise any red flags. Yeah, how the <laughs> hell did he survive the sunlight? <laughs> right. Um, so I guess it's just because George Jr. had a less than stellar Hamon career, but had a very honorable career as a World War One pilot. Why didn't we get to see some of those excursions? I wonder if, and we'd have to go back and rewatch some parts of part two, but I wonder if George was Edina's attempt at separating the Joestar bloodline from Hamon and trying to give them some level of normalcy because she definitely tried to do it with Joseph. She definitely tried to keep Joseph away from fate, basically, but fate has its way, you know, we'll always find a way to... to you know, guide the Joe stars to where they need to be. Um, Mm -hmm. But then again, like Lisa, Lisa was trained from a young age to become a homone master. So I don't know, maybe they were like, Lisa, Lisa can do it. She's not technically a Joe star, but you can't do it. (laughs) Yeah. And like I said before, I think George Jr. story is kind of fleshed out in this George Joe star novel. So, you know, if anyone happens to have their hand on that novel and can, and go into detail about what happens in there, uh, would love to know. But again, I don't think it's really canon to at least Araki's vision for this JoJo universe. Moving on to part two, um, I have a couple of these, and a lot of it is just centered around like Joseph immediately after. So immediately after the events of part two, the the one question I have, which is. Probably the biggest one for part two is what the hell happens when Joseph finds out that Lisa Lisa is his mom, especially after he was peeping on her in that one episode. I I would <laughs> love to see the moment that he makes that realization or she breaks that news to him. Like that's got to be wild because he grew up without a mother. Uh, I can't remember if he thought his mother passed away or what the situation was, but I mean, both of his parents have not been in his life. Obviously, George couldn't because he was murdered. I, I, I just want to see his reaction to that. I want to see, like, if he's upset that she left him, if he is just so happy to have his mother in his life, Um, you know, how he's going to th- react thinking back on, you know, that he, you know, peeped on her and thought that she was hot when she was, like, naked in the, in the bath or whatever. I want to see that shit unfold. I feel like... Just knowing Joseph's personality, he'd probably just get over it really quickly. I mean, like in terms of him realizing that Lisa Lisa is his mother, uh, I don't think he would harbor any sort of resentment towards her. I think he would just be thrilled to know that his mother is present in his life. Yeah. Um, the, the going back to the the peeping thing, it, it reminds me of um, Star Wars, like the Luke and Leia relationship oh i was between... like who peeped on who in star no, wars <laughs> well yeah there was that instance in this is spoilers for star wars but you know it's been out for like 40 plus years uh the instance in empire strikes back where luke kisses leia but then in return of the jedi it's revealed that leia is his twin sister awkward um, but you know again i think joseph being joseph that's just gonna fly over his head but then it makes me think because you know joseph used Hamon to kind of prolong his his lifespan um, through part four. And I think he's still alive by part five. I don't know about part six. He is alive in part six. Okay. 
Rocky confirmed it. In an well, interview. then, we, and then part six happens, and <laughs> and <laughs> the, then there you go. The universe <laughs> is kind of reset. But um, is, was there any mention of Lisa Lisa using Hamon to also kind of keep herself looking young or prolonging her lifespan? Yes, that's why Joseph is so surprised in part two to find out how old she actually is because um, he's like, holy mm-hmm. shit, you look so young. And I think that's one of the first major instances of us seeing Hamon keep somebody youthful. And if I remember correctly, I want to say that Joseph stopped using Hamon, at least maybe not as intensely, to stay young so that he could age with Susie Q after they got married. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise she'd be fucking old and he would be like hot all the time. And that would just be weird. Um, So yeah, I think Lisa Lisa definitely uses Hamon to stay young. Uh, I imagine she probably lived a very, very long life. But if I recall correctly, at the end of part two, they say that she remarries when they go back to the States. Uh, I don't know if, like, that'd be cool a, a cool side story to see. But really, I just want to know, like, how does Joseph react to finding out that Lisa Lisa is, in fact, his mother? And how do they together, you know, rekindle that relationship? Because Joseph is such a different personality than the person that Lisa Lisa is. Mm -hmm. I also, and this is me being like a slice of life enjoyer. I'm certainly not an addict or obsessed with slice of life anime, but I do enjoy slice of life moments when it's not a slice of life anime because it shows you, it, it makes the characters feel more relatable. It makes them feel more grounded and it's just kind of fun to see them out of their element. So if you think about like a typical shonen, they're fighting, they're training, but then you sometimes get like these little slice of life moments. Yeah, part four. Yeah, where they're like with their families or interacting with their siblings or whatever. And like that's a cool, you know, bit of like peeking into their personal life that, that you get when characters do that. So what I'm trying to say is with jojo i kind of feel the same about several jojo families joestar families and one of them is watching suzy q and joseph get married have their family and then watch joseph raise holly i think that would be so cool to see because we know that joseph and suzy q are technically like married they're together or whatever but to actually see them start their family and live their life i think that would be fun to watch yeah, I think from their small interaction in the cemetery during Joseph's fake funeral, you can tell like that's almost like a, a sitcom type of relationship between the both of them. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think seeing like an OVA or, or a one shot of Joseph and Susie Q raising Holly, because Holly was their only child, right? Yes. Uh, I'm sure there are plenty of antics there. And I can imagine, you know, Joseph trying to defend both Suzy Q and Holly in certain situations where, you know, fate is trying to test him, whether it be encountering an enemy or, you know, like the the later prevalence of stands. Although I think that's more so already covered in part three. Um, But yeah, having those kind of sitcom-y elements mixed in with, you know, Joseph having to step in as a Hamon user to protect his family. I think that would be interesting to to see unfold. There is a, uh, there's a couple of like fan art accounts or fan art artists 
that um, I've seen once in a while, like posted on some of the JoJo subreddits, where they take some of these moments and just make fan art around it. And one of them that I've seen is like the first panel is Holly as a kid being taken care of by Susie Q, and Susie Q is like really gentle with her and they're playing or whatever. And the next panel is Joseph playing with Holly, but he's got her hanging upside down and holding her by like a foot and just like whipping her around and shit. Like typical (laughs) dad stuff. Like that's definitely the type of dad that Joseph would be. I don't know if I'd ever really want to see how Joseph came about his like own personal wealth because he's like a real estate mogul and all that. And like, that's cool and shit. I just like that all of the Joestars don't mooch off of their Joestar inheritance. Because, I mean, the Joestars have had a lot of money for a long time. Like, basically from part one, we know that they're a very wealthy family. But each of them, like, makes their own way. They they become pretty successful in their field and make a lot of money however they, they do that. In Giorno's case, he's the head of the mafia. So, you know. <laughs> what was Joseph's, like, official title? He was just, like, a real estate, what, broker? Yeah, like- but he's, like like up there i mean they have like a huge penthouse in new york city so he's very wealthy i mean think about all the shenanigans that he funds through part three he's very yeah. very wealthy well that just makes me think like what are some of the the sales or deals he has made or you know if he's kind of forced the buyer's hand like <laughs> like trying to force them into buying property you know what i mean yeah i mean i could see, see him going yeah. that that route or even like jotaro i know that in part three he's in high school so he's not making his own wealth but even then he still has wealth in his family because holly's a stay-at-home mom it seems like but she married a, a jazz musician so i imagine he's very successful and speaking of part three what side stories or snippets would you love to see that relate to part three um, I only have one, and this is in relation to probably one of the more comedic parts of Stardust Crusaders, which is what did Boingo do with his life after his failed prediction of Jotaro's death? Was it a failed prediction? Um, okay, yeah. I mean, Remember I mean, the part six stuff? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. So I guess failed prediction in that he thought Jotaro was going to die during the events of Stardust Crusaders, but... Yeah, I think part six, uh, his prediction was technically correct, um, but that's a story for another day. Uh, but I do remember, yeah, we haven't covered this in our Stardust Crusaders review series yet, but I think Boingo, like after seeing all the shit that happens and how like he's unable to stop Jotaro and the Crusaders, he contemplates using his powers to be a better person and to use it for like the benefit of society but then i think he he gets out of his hiding place and then iggy like it it's a crate and then iggy gets hit by it and then iggy assaults him and so boingo just becomes even more like secluded (laughs) but i'd like to think that that was just one particular moment and maybe boingo actually did end up using his stand powers for good Although I don't know how you would technically use a, a future telling book for the benefit of society. Right, because can you stop that prediction from coming true? Because he says that they always come true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I guess another thing is Oingo was out of commission during this whole time, which is, I guess, why he 
why Boingo teamed up with Whole Horse um, in that final episode where we see Boingo. So I'm wondering, like, did he reunite with his brother? Um, and were they, like, spared by Dio's wrath for being incompetent? And in that sense, were they allowed to turn away from their life of crime? I like to think so. Or maybe they were just out of commission long enough that they rode it out until Dio was destroyed anyway. <laughs> so then they were oh, just yeah. like, well, I guess we're free now. <laughs> and I guess this is a, a little bit of a spoiler because I was reading a little bit. And I think you mentioned this in the intro. There's a separate manga series called Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, Crazy Diamonds, Demonic Heartbreak. This isn't actually written by Araki, but it's a series written by Kohei Kadono, who had previously done, I think they had done a, another sort of JoJo one-shot, um, Purple Haze Feedback, which is, I think, related to part five. But um, in Crazy Diamond's Demonic Heartbreak, it's concluded as of May of this year, but it follows, I think, Josuke and Whole Horse on a random team-up. So I read that Boingo has some sort of cameo in this manga series as well. So I don't know exactly what he does, but he's still present in the JoJo universe as of the time of part four. I know Araki had like some, not like involvement, but maybe some blessing for this spinoff. Is it canon? I would think so because... Yeah, it's it was serialized by Shueisha in Ultra Jump. So I I'd imagine yeah, it have to it would have to be published with Araki's blessing. As far as the stories for part 3 that I'd love to see, all of this is I guess like after the fact, um similar to the previous parts. I and this might be the one spin-off or the one side story. If I had to pick one, like this would be the one I definitely want to see. It's Jotaro meeting his wife, getting married, and becoming a father to Jolene. Can you even mm -hmm. fucking imagine that story? Like, who is this woman that we know nothing about? The one woman who apparently captured Jotaro's heart, which we all thought was impossible because he fucking like hates women throughout part three. And then not only captures his heart, but gets to have a child with him and then he's a dad like what <laughs> i need to see this like i would give anything for iraqi to give us like a taste right like just a, a quick even a quick one shot of what the hell happened between jotaro being a, an edgy teenager and then like part six he's you know already a father for many years like i need to see something i need to see this shit unfold I feel like Jotaro did that more out of utility. Like he, at some point he was like, I need a wife, I need a family. And so he just married this woman and then had Jolene. Although I- To I, continue the Joestar bloodline? Yeah. I mean, there's already two <laughs> other Joestars out there. So. Yeah. Um, so and not to say that he didn't love his wife, but, you know, I think, you know, Jotaro just being kind of of that tsundere mindset uh, would see it more as like, an opportunity. <laughs> I um, I disagree. I feel like he, because you know, I love male Sundays. I feel like even the coldest Sunday 
finds that right person that can kind of break down some of those barriers that no one else can. I'm not saying Jotaro is going to be like the most lovey-dovey husband and father ever, but I could definitely see him being at least a caring husband. Um, and I, I still argue that he's a caring father because mm-hmm. he sacrificed being with his daughter and wife to protect them at the end of the day um, from enemy stand users. So, yeah, I just I speculate like I want to know, like, who is this woman? What kind of woman is she doesn't Jotaro's have a name? Yeah. Like, what kind of woman is Jotaro's type? Like, who is this person? How do they meet? Did they meet in college when he was studying to be a marine biologist? Like, what the hell? Like, wh- who are you? I need to know. So, yeah, that's the one where I, I wish Araki would give us just a little a little taste of Jotaro's personal life um, and, and see, like, his family. Like, his family, um, him raising Jolene. And that's the same uh fan artists that i mentioned earlier have also drawn like what if comics or what if um fan art of jotaro raising jolene and i just love that shit i'm like he's still a sundere but he has a heart of gold because he like cares about his daughter at the end of the day so if you're ever interested in i guess seeing some of those or fueling your head cannon you can probably look up like joe star or jojo everyday life fan artists and see some of their work. I still can't get over that Jotaro's wife was never given a name. <laughs> like, she we might do... have a name. Let's no, I, I just looked it oh, up on Google and it's there's a bunch of questions. Who is Jotaro's wife? Does Jotaro marry Anne? What? <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, fucking right. Anne Wait, wishes. Okay, <laughs> uh, yeah, when did Jotaro give... There's no... like There are Reddit threads like mrs Cujo, like that's what they call her <laughs> like araki didn't even dignify her with a name although we do see an image of her in what was that the the locket yeah that jolene had that's all we get though so yeah i think araki should have expanded upon that more although there's never really a hint in part four at least from what i remember that jotaro even had a family Um, Which he would have at that point, right? Because the timeline, Jolene would have been young because she's right around Josuke's age. Yeah. Although I guess that's sort of addressed in part six where, you know, Jotaro was so busy with the events of part four and a little bit uh, involved in part five regarding like investigating Giorno that since he was so caught up in his work, that's why his wife divorced him and why Jolene was so distant from him in part six. Um, but yeah, I, d- I would just love to see the other side of the coin to all of that. And like you said, like seeing, seeing Jotro actually be a, a family man of sorts, even though I'm sure he'd still act like a tsundere towards his <laughs> wife and Jolene. So as we move into part four, I actually have one here that would be a, like a what if scenario not even a what if, but just like a one-shot scenario before the events of part four. And that would be when Jotaro and Suzy Q found out that Joseph had an affair. <laughs> <laughs> I need to know. Like, I need to know what happens there. Like, it's hinted at, right? Jotaro mentions it. Yeah, she's fucking pissed. <laughs> because he, let's, let's recall this. Jotaro found out because they were trying to settle some like family affairs with like, inheritance or something right like with joseph's will because he was getting older and i think at that point it slipped out that joseph has an, an illegitimate child 
probably because Josuke should be entitled to something. Um, and yeah, I just, I we know that Suzy Q is fucking pissed. I don't blame her, but I want to see that conversation unfold. I want to see the moment that they, they find this news out from Joseph. I want to be a fly on the wall and hear what horrible shit Jotaro has to say to his grandfather about that. Because yeah, Josuke was around for a while. It says here that Josuke's birthday, or he was born in 1983. So he would have been six during Stardust Crusaders. Uh, which makes me think, like, did Joseph make a quick excursion to Morio during that time? <laughs> um, but yeah, I would love, like, seeing the expression on Suzy Q's face. And, you know, I'm surprised that she would still be with Joseph even after something as, as heinous as Josuke's birth. I only have one question with part four, and I feel like this is never really addressed, but who the fuck was the pompadour guy that inspired Josuke when he was sick? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Well, there's that theory that it's Josuke himself. Yeah, but then that was never really brought full circle. Yeah. By Araki. So it's just it's just some guy in a pompadour. I don't know if it was going to be some elaborate like time travel thing that happens in part four. Right. And like, okay, let me think about this really quick. If if it is Josuke traveling back in time and he's just seeing himself, when did the pompadour even start? It's like, what came first, the chicken or the egg? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, there has to be a starting point and, a, and, a, and something that inspired the the initial Josuke to make a pompadour that then the young Josuke sees when the time traveling happens. So, like, like a time loop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or this reminds me of, like, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. There's a scene in there that plays out, and it's a, a real time fuck. But, you know, maybe it's just some... Joe Schmo, <laughs> who just happened to save Josuke and his mom during this like blizzard in their car. Like, even if it's just that, I would love to hear about this guy. Or maybe he is a stand user and he decided to use his stand powers for I think he just threw his coat under the car. So he didn't really use like a stand <laughs> power. Um, well, that we know of. Maybe he did and they couldn't see it. Oh, yeah, like he conjured the coat using whatever stand he had. No, like maybe oh. he just used that as an excuse, but then like the stand was pushing the car to get it out uh, of the snow. That's... See, Although that by would... that point, Josuke would have been a stand user because that's what was causing his illness. Yeah, because I think this that happened around the events of Stardust Crusaders. Yeah. But, I don't know. Yeah, we'll never know. That circle will never be completed. I guess after the events of part four, I would love to see... Joseph and Josuke spending father-son time together. And I'd want to know if Josuke ever meets the rest of the Joestar family. Does he eventually meet Susie Q and Holly? I, f I, feel like, mm. I feel like Holly would be the type to welcome Josuke. Yeah. And I, I'm sure Susie Q would be as well. She would just be very <laughs> apprehensive. Mm -hmm. Or if he... I, I doubt he would have ever met Jolene because she became estranged from Jotaro. Yeah, but maybe like after the events of Stone Ocean. Well, <laughs> that's 
almost like a, a reset universe, though, isn't it? Right, but it's like, I, I like, mean, Joseph could still have had an affair. Yeah, that, like Joseph's case would still exist in that alternate universe, but maybe under a different name. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Or even Jorno. Like if, because they're both illegitimate children, right? Like, yes. why, why not like have the two illegitimate Joestar heirs <laughs> meet and see what happens? <laughs> well, speaking of Jorno, as we move into part five, I do have one situation I'd love to see. And it was pretty much confirmed um, when they kind of give us a rundown at the beginning of part five about what Jotaro has been up to, blah, blah, blah. And this would be watching Jotaro and Polnareff reunite to find the stand arrows. Because they go their separate ways in part three. They think that their journey you is over. you say Jorno? Oh, did I say Jotaro and Polnareff? Oh, it sounded like Jorno and Polnareff. Oh, I might have. I meant Jotaro and Polnareff prior to the events of part five. Because I think they confirm that they at some point reunite while Jotaro's on this mission to locate the stand arrows. Because, right, like, mm. Jotaro's whole deal after part three is stopping enemy stand users, getting rid of, I think, stands to a certain degree. And part of that is finding the stand arrows so that new stand users can't be created. So Polnareff joins up with him, which is how Polnareff gets wrapped up in all of the Diavolo shit, because he has a stand arrow. Um, so yeah, I, I'd love to see that. I want to see the two of them reunite. We get that very quick glimpse of the two of them drawn in part five style, um, mm -hmm. kind of like that that flashback moment. But that's all we really see. I'd love to see the two of them reunite because you know Paul and Ruff would be so excited to see Jotaro. Yeah, I'm reading the wiki here saying that before the events of Golden Wind... Jotaro and Polnareff learned of the arrows began to investigate them. Polnareff eventually went on his own in Italy, but his investigations caught the attention of Diavolo. It's just weird that, you know, like, not like they were estranged from each other, but, like, Jotaro never kept in constant contact with Polnareff. Yeah, but I feel like Polnareff going to Italy, maybe they just decided to divide and conquer. Like, maybe... Mm -hmm. Maybe uh, Jotaro was like, I'll handle Japan or whatever you handle Italy. But I, yeah, I imagine at some point Jotaro's probably like, what the hell happened to Polnareff? And then he sends Koichi over. Yeah. <laughs> like, the only question I have regarding part five, and I think this is a big one considering this happened in the halfway point of part five is, what Fugo was up to after he quit on Bucci Gang? I have that same question. What the fuck is that guy up to? I want to know as well because he just kind of walks away and lives his fucking life. But like, what is he doing now? Yeah, because I know when Bucciarti tells his gang that he wants to go up against the boss because of his intentions in killing Trish, uh, Fugo doesn't like that because he thinks it, it's suicide and so he's the only one of Bucci gang that decides to disband like decides to separate from the group but then i feel like there's no way that passione the overall mafia or overall crime syndicate that they're a part of would have let fugo just walk free if they were trying to tie up loose ends with Bucci gang right yeah, so did he get it? Are you saying did he get attacked like while he was on his own? Yeah, 
Unless they thought like, you know, since he gave up on Bucci Gang, let's let, let's bring him back into the fold. But then I think of like the way that mafias or organized crime syndicates work. If they see that you betray someone, how do they know they're not going to betray you? Right. And do we think <laughs> that when Giorno becomes head of the mafia, does he leave Fugo alone? I don't think Giorno's the type to like go after Fugo. He's probably like, whatever. He made his choice. Bucciati offered it up, right? And he, mm-hmm. he made that decision. He took that offer. So I couldn't see Giorno wanting to get like revenge or anything. Yeah. And there is a caveat to this because there's a light novel. I mentioned this earlier called Purple Haze Feedback which is written by Kohei Kadono, the same writer of Crazy Diamond's Demonic Heartbreak. This features Fugo as the protagonist because it's called Purple Haze Feedback and his stand is Purple Haze. But it, this takes place six months after the end of Golden Wind. So not necessarily what Fugo was up to during the whole time that Gang was on the run and trying to defeat Diavolo. I mean, I would love to see both parts of that where what happened during the events and what happened subsequently. But yeah, I just want to know what this fucker was up to. (laughs) Why he was a little chicken shit and didn't want to join the Bucci gang in their noble journey. Another big question I think that's out there for part five fans is Polnareff telling Jorno about his Joestar lineage and about his dad, Dio, because if you think about it, of everyone that Jorno personally knows, Polnareff has been there. He's met Dio. He fought mm-hmm. Dio. And he he was with the Joestars side by side on the Stardust Crusaders journey. I, I like really want to know how that conversation pans out. Because once Jorno becomes the head of the mafia, he has Polnareff with him. Polnareff's sitting right there as a fucking turtle. So I imagine that there's a lot of time... For them to talk and for them to get to know each other. And I'm sure the moment Polnareff realizes who Jorno is, he's going to be like, dude, I met your dad. And then we killed him. <laughs> Wait, so Polnareff never knew that Jorno was a Jojo? I think he I think he does. Hmm. I don't know, actually. We need to, we'll need to like look into that as we watch part five. Like two to five years from now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it all depends on if... Joe Taro was aware of Jorno when he reunited with Polnareff because then he could have informed Polnareff about it. But mm-hmm. I also don't think it's impossible for Polnareff to eventually find out that Jorno is a Joe star because he's got the Joe star birthmark. There could yeah. there could be a way that maybe maybe Polnareff sees it or learns more about it. Um, Jorno's got that picture of Dio in his wallet. Who knows? Maybe he saw that. I, I just feel like there's got to be some way that that Polnareff comes across that information that Jorno is a Joe Star, finds out who exactly he's tied to, and then tells him everything. I I, I bet that shit would blow Jorno's mind. But then I'm thinking, like, does Jorno? Would Jorno really care about that information? I mean, the thing that holds me back from saying that is that he has a picture of Dio in his wallet. But I feel like Giorno, by the end of part five, has become his own man in being the head of the mafia, that he doesn't feel like 
tied down by these familial ties. Right. Yeah. I don't think Dorna would be the type to go out and seek the Joe stars, but I think he, he would be very interested in learning about them and learning about mm. his father. And I believe the Stone Ocean manga says that Jorno was actually in Florida during the events of Stone Ocean. Oh, because stand users. Yeah, I tracked other stand users. I don't know why the fuck you'd go from Italy to fucking Florida of all places. But that could be part of it. Maybe Jorno was trying to learn more about his extended family. Man, it would have been great to see Jorno in part six. Okay, yeah. You know what? I didn't <laughs> add that to my part six section, but yes. You know what? Let's let's transition. Do you have any any others for part five? Um, how was Paul Nareff's life as a turtle after part five? Yeah, <laughs> like, is that a fun life? I don't know. Uh, it's probably better than being dead at this point. <laughs> so going on or moving on to part six, let's start off with the one we just mentioned. What if Jorno? So this one, I don't even think is like in the same category necessarily because this did not happen. This would be like an alternate universe or like a what if moment. Like what if Giorno had met Jolene and Jotaro in Florida? What if he had intervened during all of the battling and fuck shit up because his stand is OP? Yeah, because his illegitimate brothers were there, the sons of Dio. Yeah. Right? I wonder if that's why he was in Florida. To find his brothers. See, yeah. This is what makes me think that Polnareff had to have told Jorno about it. Mm-hmm. That's true. And then he's probably like, oh, I've got siblings. Let's, you know, half siblings. I should go find them. Yeah. But then I'm sure Araki didn't want to include Jorno in the story because his appearance would have overshadowed Jolene's, well, all the work that Jolene does in Stone Ocean. Yeah. And I think using... um gold experience requiem i think would have been way op i think that's what a lot of fans theorize is that yeah gold experience requiem would have just fucked shit up and then jolene would have looked like useless at that point right yeah and especially because i'm reading this article about what happened to jorno after part five like jotaro had to be nerfed a bit so that jolene could shine yeah um so it it kind of be hard to have like try to nerf Jorno when he has a stand that can also have an ability to affect time. I have a few others for part six, but um, these would be, I guess, like after the events of Stone Ocean. I really want to see Jolene spending time with Joseph because Araki confirmed in an interview that Joseph is technically still alive. During the events of Stone Ocean, he's just a bit more senile. So he took the time to go meet Josuke. I'm sure he's going to want to see his great-great-granddaughter? Great-granddaughter, yeah. Mm, yeah, because Jotaro is his grandson. Yes. So yeah, I, I imagine that like Joseph's met Jolene before Stone Ocean starts, like when she was a kid probably. But I like to see them reunite now that she's back together with Jotaro. Like... Or, you know, they have that, like that Jolene, father-daughter relationship. Jolene or Irene? Jolene, okay. <laughs> well, She's Jolene across the board. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then 
I also would love to see the moment that Jolene introduces Anasui to Jotaro as her fiance <laughs> after the reset. So Irene, whatever you want to call her, because that's where they were headed was to see Jotaro so that they could introduce the two of them and mm-hmm. share their intent to get married. That's probably a really funny conversation to watch because we already saw what happened to Jotaro when in the midst of a battle, Anasui asked for Jolene's hand in marriage. And he's like, what the fuck are you talking <laughs> yeah, about? Well, that was just bad timing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, no, I think you know Jotaro would be initially hesitant. But we've always said that Jotaro responds to strength. And assuming that Anasui still has the same qualities in this new universe... That he did in the old universe, I think Jotaro would warm up to him. Well, now that I'm thinking about it, I do have one more, and it's related to the acceleration of time uh, towards the end of Stone Ocean, uh, because we, we see. I think this was, I think this was an anime original where you have the one mangaka who is trying to reach his deadline, but he can't. And then he asks, like, if anyone else has reached the deadline. And then it mentions Rohan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'd love to see what Rohan was doing while time was accelerating that allowed him. I mean, he has, uh, what's his, uh, knocking on Heaven's Door? Or what's his? Heaven's Door. <laughs> Heaven's Door. That's his stand, right? Like, he has that ability, which is somehow related to him writing and drawing his manga. But I'd love to see his process of how he was able to, reach his deadline while time was accelerating like rapid fire drawing (laughs) (laughs) well as fun as it is to speculate and to theorize unfortunately at this point we may never see any of these uh spinoffs or side stories come to fruition although because Araki fucking forgot yeah (laughs) although never say never because i mean again we got the spoke rohan kishibe and apparently whole horse met josuke who knows maybe Araki will be like i'm gonna write a quick snippet about what the fuck happened with jotaro and his wife or i'm gonna tell everyone what the fuck fugo was up to we can only hope uh, but I guess in the meantime, we can rely on fan art, um, fan... Fan fiction. Fan fiction. <laughs> yeah, fan fics, Holy shit. And our headcanon to fill the gaps. If there are any side stories or moments in JoJo that you guys wish we could see, let us know because there's there's a shitload, right? Like I feel like we barely scratched the surface of what goes on in between all of the, the parts of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. So yeah, reach out and let us know because we'd love to see what moments you guys are dying to see. But as always, thank you guys so much for listening and sharing our love of JoJo. Subscribe to Strictly JoJo on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us and to share the JoJo moments you wish you could see. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash Series and tune into Strictly Anime, our other podcast for anime reviews and discussions. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. To be continued. <laughs>